0: We will hear argument first this morning in case 19-547, United States Fish and Wildlife Service versus Sierra Club. Mr. Garnieri.
1: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, the December 2013 draft biological opinions are privileged, pre-decisional, deliberative materials. They were written by staff at the services as a recommendation to agency decision makers about the position the services should adopt in the ongoing consultation with the EPA. When the relevant decision-makers were presented with these drafts, they did not adopt them, they did not sign them, and they did not even transmit them in full to the EPA. Instead, they decided that more work needed to be done before making a final decision. The Ninth Circuit committed two principal errors in concluding, nonetheless, that these drafts are outside the scope of the deliberative process privilege. First, the Ninth Circuit treated the draft as final rather than predecisional because it viewed them as the service's last word on the version of the EPA rule under consideration in December twenty thirteen. But the EPA modified its approach and the services never had any occasion to make a final decision about the abandoned version of the EPA rule. In the DC Circuit's memorable words, the December twenty thirteen draft opinions died on the vine without ever blossoming into a final decision. Second, the Ninth Circuit viewed these drafts as final documents because the drafts largely don't contain redlining, marginal comments, or other obvious signs of still being in flux. That reasoning is unsound. No one would confuse a law clerk's draft with a final decision by a judge, even if the draft is pristine. The key point is that the decision makers at the services had not yet made up their minds. Their deliberations had not yet come to an end. When the Services did make a final decision in May 2014, they released an 85-page joint opinion explaining their reasoning to the public. Here, respondents seeks to compel the disclosure of earlier drafts, which recommended reasoning that the Services never adopted about a version of the EPA rule that never saw the light of day. The court should reject respondents' efforts to pry into those materials.
0: Uh, Mr. Garnieri, before you can decide whether something is predecisional, you have to know what the decision is. And why, why isn't the decision here EPA's final rule on the cooling water intake structures uh, and the Service's opinion uh, simply is predecisional from the perspective of that final rule?
1: Mr. Chief Justice, we think the final decision here is the Service's decision in the ongoing consultation. Uh, So that that is the the final decision occurred in May of 2014 when the services exercised their authority under the Endangered Species Act to render a biological opinion with respect to whether EPA's proposed action would cause jeopardy to endangered species.
0: But that doesn't do... I mean, that that itself uh, doesn't represent any action by the service with respect to uh, anything other than the EPA. Uh, decision i mean it is predecisional with respect to that decision
1: it, th- that's right your honor but but we think the deliberative process that that should be the focus of the court's attention here is the deliberations that were occurring within the services about whether or not the Epa's proposed action would cause jeopardy
0: no I know and, that's what you think i'm trying to figure out figure out why. I mean, you talk about, it within a, an agency, the different steps in the process and you say, well, none of those steps is actually, uh, 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 you know, uh, final and decisional, but here all of a sudden you get to the end of the services role and it's final uh, uh, and not pre-decisional even though it's just part of another ongoing process. In other words, I'm not sure that your position doesn't prove too much.
1: Mr. Chief Justice, we, we think the statute itself makes clear that there is a decision-making process that concludes with the issuance of the final biological opinion. Uh, that's in Section Seven uh, B two of of uh, the Endangered Species Act. The implementing regulations also make clear that with respect to the interagency consultation, it concludes with that that process concludes with the issuance of a final opinion. Now, of course, if, if the court were to view the the, deliber- the deliberations here more broadly as encompassing also the EPA's rulemaking, then it's clear that the EPA didn't make a final decision and didn't issue a, a final rule in that rulemaking until May 2014, so the drafts that are issued here would also be pre-decisional with respect to the EPA's final rule. But,
0: Thank you, council uh, Justice Thomas?
2: Uh, Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. Um, Counsel, um, I'd like to follow up with uh, the Chief Justice's line. Uh, What if there were not a uh, regulation that prohibited the issuance of a final opinion before or while the draft was under review uh, by the requesting uh, agency?
1: Well, it... You know, certainly, we think it's helpful here that the the regulations clearly contemplate that there would be a sharing of drafts in some circumstances between the services and the action agency. And here, uh, the services didn't actually even reach the point of sharing the draft opinion in December twenty thirteen. The drafts were never transmitted in full to the EPA at that point. But, but counterfactually, if there were no regulation, then still, at least on the facts here. It's clear that the services had never made a final decision in the consultation in December 2013. The declarations that have been submitted by uh, agency officials make clear that the relevant decision makers did not adopt these drafts when the drafts were presented to them in December 2013. So, we really think that's uh, dispositive here of the fact that the deliberations
2: were ongoing at that point in time. So what if you were right, uh, I'm trying to figure out, like, if the, you're right up to the line, that there is, there is no more uh, deliberation, that the, let's say it's, there's, it's a final, final draft, and you simply are call, calling EPA to give a heads up that you're about to send it in, a, in five minutes, uh, would you make the same argument? It, anything short of actually sending it, that's what I'm getting at. Yes, Justice
1: Thomas. Uh, Now, of course, we're quite far from that point in this particular case, but I I think, in general, the principle uh, that we are advocating here is that until there is a, until there is actually a final decision, uh, the agency decision makers are free to change their minds in the consultation, and so that that is really the critical distinction between sort of having a near final draft that is on the verge of being transmitted and actually having a final agency decision that represents the service's final opinion in in the consultation, and until reaching that point, the deliberations are are still ongoing, and and the services, the decision-makers at the services could change their mind about any aspect
2: of the agency's analysis. So, anything short of of just uh, pressing the send button uh, is is, is non-final? Well, it's not... Uh, To to be clear, it's
1: not the transmittal. It's not hitting the send button to send it to the EPA that we think is the critical distinction. It's it's the point in time at which the agency decision makers actually exercise their authority to issue a biological opinion in the consultation, uh, and, and they were far short of that here in December of 2013. Thank you.
0: Justice Breyer?
3: Well, I'm not... One, I'd like any comment you have about the test. I mean, the object is: Will this document, in fact, diminish agency decision-making quality by by discouraging uh, the staff and others from debating if it's going to be public? I, I, and you might have a better choice or not. I'm curious, but the the words that have been used are predecisional and deliberative. Hmm. Maybe. Okay. So that's one in the back of my mind, anything you want to say. And the other thing, at least in some of these documents, so we'll have to look through the record, it it seems to have reached a final stage. I mean, uh, people say, when you make these final changes, which they made to the draft, I can email the assistant director and we have an auto pen with his signature. We can use to send it out and they'll send it to the EPA. And in fact, that's what they normally do. I mean, Normally, what they do is they send these things over before they're absolutely final. The EPA makes changes, and then it never appears. And that happened apparently thousands of times, and only twice did they actually publish it. So, so the, the, those do you get what I'm driving at? And if so, I'd appreciate your, your thoughts. Sure. Well, with respect to
1: uh, your second set of questions, Justice Breyer, uh, the the emails that you're referring to are emails about finalizing the draft for transmittal to the EPA. And so, it's abundantly clear in those emails, even in the email uh, suggesting that the transmittal letter could be signed by Autopen, it's very clear that the services understood themselves to still be working on draft biological opinions and they had committed previously to sharing a draft with the EPA. So, even if they had uh, transmitted that draft or transmitted those documents, they they understood themselves to be transmitting a draft that did not yet represent a final decision. Um, With respect to Your Honor's uh, first question, the the lower courts have understood this court's precedent on the deliberative process privilege to um, require that a document be both pre-decisional and deliberative in order to qualify for the privileges. We're not taking issue with that. We think if the court were to apply that framework here, uh, these documents would certainly satisfy it.
3: Okay, thank you. Uh,
1: Justice Breyer, if I may also, your question alluded to the fact that there are relatively few jeopardy opinions. Um, it, that, that's certainly true. Uh, there are some, There's an empirical study cited in the AMCIS brief suggesting that jeopardy opinions are relatively rare, uh, but we don't really see any particular problem with that, I and mean, I think that could be simply a sign that the consultation process required by the Endangered Species Act is working as intended. Federal agencies are incorporating these standards into proposed agency actions and are oh. by and avoiding actions that
4: would cause jeopardy.
5: Justice
0: Alito?
4: Are there examples of situ- uh, uh, situations in which um, a uh, jeopardy biological opinion has been issued, but the action agency has then gone ahead with the action in the face of that?
1: Uh, Justice Alito, I'm, I'm not aware of such, a, such, a, uh, um, such an example. There, there are a handful of examples to, to step back for a second, um, the Endangered Species Act, you know, as, as the court discussed in Bennett Against Fear, uh, the Endangered Species Act, at least theoretically, permits an action agency to decide that, notwithstanding the biological opinion, the action agency has decided that its, age, its action would not cause jeopardy. I, I don't know that that's ever occurred. There are a handful of examples. The, the statute also permits an action agency to obtain an exemption uh, from a... Um, a, a cabinet-level committee, and, and that has occurred on,
4: on a handful of occasions. Well, if it, if it uh, almost never occurs, then uh, something that is labeled a draft biological opinion may really be tantamount to the service's final word on the subject unless it can be persuaded by the action agency. Uh, to change its opinion or the action agency makes an adjustment in what it was previously proposing to do. Isn't that the case?
1: I I think the the draft aspect of the opinion, I mean, from our perspective, the, the key point here is that the agency decision makers at the services had not yet actually made up their mind about whether version of the rule that was under consideration in December of 2013 would cause jeopardy.
4: Okay, well, maybe that's that's true, but uh, I'm interested in where your argument goes, where we should draw the line. Uh, Do you want us to draw a line between those draft biological opinions that do not reflect, that reflect all of the deliberation that the service intends to conduct internally but, uh, and those that uh, do not reflect all of the deliberation that the service uh, wants to conduct internally, or does your argument logically lead to the conclusion that uh, no draft biological opinion can ever be final? Well, I,
1: I think it's the latter, Justice Alito. I no draft biological opinion, by, by definition, if it is a draft opinion, then it is predecisional and deliberative because the agency has not yet made up its mind. The services have not yet made up their mind in the ongoing consultation. And, and there are good reasons for that. And w- One of them is that, you know, as the regulations contemplate, the services will often share these draft opinions with the action agency. And that process of sort of, the uh, give and take between the services and the the agency that is consulting the services can be helpful to refine the the draft opinion and for the services to better
4: understand the proposed agency. Thank 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 you, you. counsel. My time has expired. Justice Sotomayor?
6: Um, I am following up a little bit on Justice uh, Alito's questioning. In Senate, we held that biological opinions, while technically advisory, have, quote, a powerful coercive effect on the action of the agency. Why is it that a draft Jeopardy opinion doesn't have the same coercive effect? As I think the Ninth Circuit pointed out, what was at issue was the November rule that the EPA was proposing. And the draft that was sent to the EPA made them change their minds. They did something completely different. With respect to the decision relating to that November action, the draft opinion did exactly what a final opinion is intended to do. So I, I understand your basic argument, that it wasn't clear the agency uh, final decision maker had accepted that that was the uh, uh, Jeopardy opinion they were going to get. But I go back to Justice Thomas's question. If that agency head was about to sign it and said, eh, I'm just going to send it to them and tell them I'll sign it on, on Monday. I don't want to go into the office on Sunday. It would be your argument that
1: that wouldn't be a final opinion worthy of disclosure. Uh, well, Justice Sotomayor, sort of to sort of take those questions in, in sequence, I think it's uh, abundantly clear that in Bennett and Spear, the court was discussing final biological opinions uh, as evidenced by the court's focus on the uh, legal force and effect of the incidental take statement that is issued uh, when the agency... Uh, when the services render a jeopardy, uh, excuse me, a no jeopardy opinion. Uh, So, the the court's focus there was on the fact that the final biological opinion does have real force and effect it has legal consequences. None of those consequences attach to a draft biological opinion. The statute and the regulations attach no legal consequences whatsoever to a draft biological opinion of the kind that are at issue here.
6: Counsel, I have one question I want to get to. Uh, In the Ninth Circuit, you agreed that a remand would be appropriate to determine whether the documents contain segregable factual information. Do you think that if we were to rule in your favor, we would still have to remand for that to happen?
1: Yes, Your Honor. That that would be appropriate. Under uh, under, Section 552B, if a document qualifies for one of the exemptions set forth in Subsection B, uh, then and only then uh, would an agency determine whether, notwithstanding the fact that the document qualifies for an exception, there are uh, portions of it that could be segregated and released. Uh, So, that that did occur after the Ninth Circuit decision. That did occur with respect to uh, three documents that the Court of Appeals found to to qualify for Exemption 5. If this Court were to uh, sustain our assertion of Exemption 5 here, then the same kind of analysis would follow on remand.
6: Thank you, Counsel.
0: Justice Kagan?
7: Mr. Guarnieri, could I focus on the uh, part of your argument, which is that the relevant decision makers were still working on the draft. And uh give you a hypothetical which is that um there was uh, uh the draft came to the relevant decision makers and he looked at it and he realized that it was going to cause a big problem for the EPA. And uh so he said, you know, I'm not going to send this over. I'm going to give the EPA head a call and just tell him everything in it. And that will um uh, ensure that there's nothing foilable um, uh, that uh, uh, in this document. What what would your um, uh, answer to that be? You know, he has the document. He's not working on it, uh, but but he doesn't want to make it foilable. And can he run this in that way?
1: Justice Kagan, there is a body of existing law in the lower courts addressing circumstances in which an agency has implicitly made a final decision. Some of those principles might uh, might be brought to bear on the hypothetical that Your Honor is proposing, but, but here there's really nothing in the record to suggest that the agencies had implicitly made a final decision, even if they had not memorialized that by, for example, signing and publicly issuing the biological opinion. And in fact, here, the evidence is really all to the contrary. There are declarations from uh, agency officials, including uh, for the Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, there's a declaration from Assistant Director Fraser, who was himself the agency decision maker uh, for Fish and Wildlife, and he says that he was presented with these draft declarations and he determined not to make a decision at that time because he felt that more work was needed in the consultation.
7: Yeah, it, 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 it's a very general statement. Do you have any sense of what more work needed to be done? Because one way to understand what happened here is that everybody, um, uh, really responded and acted as if there were a completed draft opinion. You know, there was, uh, sending the reasonable alternatives over. The AP, the EPA starts uh, talking to the service about how to change its rule, the EPA does change its rule, it was as if, um, uh, you know, everything that happened was as if there had been a final draft opinion that was sent to the EPA. Well,
1: Justice Kagan, among other things, Assistant Director Fraser said that, um, and this is at page 58 of the joint appendix, that key elements of the EPA's rule were still being deliberated within the EPA. So, I think the declaration reflects that there was a a significant degree of fluidity here, uh, both as to what the the, the services plan to say in the consultation, and and also what the EPA's final rule would look like. Um, Now, it's difficult to describe exactly the conversations that occurred from December onwards without revealing the substance of the agency's privileged discussions, but the declaration, I do think, makes clear that... You know, there, there were a number of moving parts here. Uh, it wasn't simply uh, EPA revising its rule in response to
8: the draft biological opinion. Thank you. Justice Gorsuch. Good morning, counsel. Um, let's say EPA had uh, decided at the end of it to just withdraw uh, its rule and, and give up, at least for the time being, maybe come back to it in five or ten years um, would that be a final decision, and if so, would that have made uh, the last draft that the service gave to EPA uh, discoverable or, or not, in your view?
1: Uh, Justice Gorsuch, as I was trying to articulate earlier, we, we think that the key question here is whether the services had made a final decision. And so, if the services rendered a final biological opinion, finding jeopardy in the consultation, and that caused the EPA not to proceed with its proposed action, then certainly there, the services' final opinion would itself not be
8: privileged. And, and, and actually, as a matter of agency practice... All right, all right, look, I, I got that, counsel. I guess what I'm... At, so, with the EPA decision itself not to proceed, um, it, it died on the vine. But would that be nonetheless final and itself discoverable? Would the EPA's decision be final and discoverable? That's the question now. Uh,
9: I, I suppose it would
1: depend. I mean, if the EPA memorializes its decision not to proceed in the rulemaking in some sort of agency document, then its explanation of, of why it had chosen not to proceed would not, uh, hypothetically, would not be predecisional or deliberative, and therefore
8: uh, w- would be foilable. Um, but it's just decided in its last draft, you know, we're not, we just, it's too hard. We can't do it. We give up internally, but it doesn't, it doesn't publish anything. Would that be final? Uh, no, I,
1: I don't think that would be final. And in fact, that would be reminiscent of the situation that this court contemplated in footnote 18 of its decision in Sears, which is that, you know, you're, you're going to have privileged internal deliberations that do not result in any final decision because, you know, you could have a degree of kind of, Agency brainstorming that doesn't ultimately lead to any final agency action, and, and in that circumstance, the agency's deliberations are
8: privileged, even though they do not culminate in any specific final decision. And what if, what if, what if, alternatively, the leadership of the service had, uh, you know, sign that last draft and send it over to EPA? Um, EPA didn't. Whatever, whatever happened at EPA happened, but the, the services signed something. The EPA, though, you know, ultimately maybe decided not to do anything. Would the service uh, document be discoverable? If the services
1: document remained in draft form and had never actually been issued as a final
8: biological... No, it was, it was, I'm supposing now it was signed by the leadership of the service and sent over to EPA. Yeah, in the, but, in that but EPA decided to do nothing. It's, I, its regulation died on the vine. I, I see, I see. Yeah, yes, that that would
1: be... The, when the agencies reach a final decision in a consultation, they release their
8: opinion, their biological opinion, to the public. And well, then, no, they didn't. Uh, they sent it over to EPA because EPA's was still in draft form. But the service decided they'd come to a final view on the draft of EPA, and they signed it. Then what? Uh, then then that, that would be a decision
1: that would... We could not withhold under the deliberated process privilege because the services has, have reached a final decision. They have exercised their authority under the Endangered Species Act and counsel,
8: Thank you. My, my, my time is over. Thank you.
5: Justice Kavanaugh. Uh, thank you, Chief Justice, and good morning, Mr. Guanieri. Just to follow up on the Chief's questions and uh, Justice Gorsuch's uh, questions. It's possible, I think, in your view, that even a final agency or opinion or memo could still be predecisional as part of a broader deliberative process. Uh, and a draft opinion, which we have in this case, in your view, is even more obviously predecisional. Is that correct in terms of a general statement? I, I do think
1: that's correct. And, and that's why in our briefing we, we refer to these in places as drafts of drafts. Because here, the EPA, I mean, the, the December 2013 draft biological opinions had not even reached the point of uh, being transmitted as
5: drafts to the EPA. To follow up on uh, something that Justice Kagan asked, does the motive of the agency official with respect to FOIA play a role in determining uh, how a court should assess whether it's uh obtainable under FOIA? It it has not
1: traditionally been a part of the analysis that this court has engaged in for the deliberative process privilege. Uh, As as I said to Justice Kagan, I think there are existing doctrines that can address any concerns along those lines, including doctrines under which an agency uh, may be determined to have implicitly reached a final decision, uh, even though a document might be notionally labeled a recommendation or a draft. Uh, But but those are simply inapplicable here. There's really no basis to infer that the services, that the decision-makers at the services had made a final decision in December 2013.
5: I think there's a concern lurking in this case uh, that executive branch officials might just stamp drafts on everything uh, and uh, therefore evade FOIA. Can you respond to that uh, concern? Uh, Sure, Uh, you know I I, I take the point, uh, Justice
1: Kavanaugh. But uh, we're just very, very far from that here. Here we are in the molten core of the deliberative process privilege, where it's clear from the record that the agencies, the decision
5: makers of the services, did not adopt the draft opinions when they were. Well, if I could interrupt, I I understand that point as to this case, but how we frame the rule uh, or the principle will matter, And, and how exactly would you have us frame the? Principal law that governs here. Well, we we
1: accept that the the lower court's formulation that a, a document must be both predecisional and deliberative uh, is is a sort of accurately captures the substance of this court's case law w- with respect specifically to whether or not a document is labeled draft. We do think that is important. I mean, it has a significant meaning within the executive branch when a document is labeled draft. It's a signal to other parties that the document has not yet been finalized, but, you know, to, of course, to address the concerns that uh, Your Honor has mentioned, the labeling of a document as draft wouldn't necessarily be just positive. It would be an important factor, but the court could also look to other factors to uh, ascertain whether a document was still, in fact,
0: in draft format. Okay. Thank you. Justice Justice Barrett?
10: I want to pick up on the thread that Justice Kavanaugh was just exploring with you. You said that if a government official simply stamped draft on it and sent it over, and as Justice Kavanaugh is positing, did so in order to avoid FOIA disclosure requirements, you said that a court might look at other factors to determine whether it's still final. What other factors would a court consider?
1: I I think a court might look to the... the The treatment of the document within the agency's process, and um, there are circumstances in which the lower courts have found that the labeling of a document as draft might be considered um, pretextual, if you will, um, uh, in light of other evidence about the processes uh, that generated the document or the consequences that were attached to the document within the agency's administrative process. Uh, but, you know, here, uh, those factors tip decisively in our favor. Uh, we have the declarations making clear that the agency decision makers didn't reach a final decision. Uh, we know that they didn't publicly issue the December 2013 draft, even though uh, a final biological opinion is publicly issued. And we know that they had committed in advance to share a draft uh, with the EPA, and they didn't even reach that point uh, because they determined uh, that more work needed to be done with these with the draft opinions that were presented to them in December 2013. So, those are all kinds of peripheral considerations that a court might take into account in uh, determining that the label of the document as draft is, is, in fact,
10: accurate. That's a pretty fact intensive determination, then. So, it's not your position that we should adopt some sort of bright line saying, listen, not over till it's over. It's not until it's actually issued in the sense of being final, maybe even in the Bennett versus Spears sense of the word. You're not asking for a rule that's that bright? Well,
9: we,
1: we think that those considerations for this particular scheme, the line is very easy to draw because it's so clear that the Endangered Species Act and its implementing regulations uh, set up a process in which the deliberations conclude with the issuance of a final biological opinion. And I think the court could dispose of this case on that ground alone. Uh, but if there are concerns that, you know, disposing of the case on those grounds might lead to uh, evasions or protectual, the, the protectual use of a label draft in the future, then I, I was just trying to give the court some comfort that there are other considerations that could also be brought to bear to, to make sure that that isn't occurring.
10: So your first order preference would be the kind of formalistic line that I was just describing, and then your backup argument would be if the court was uncomfortable about the possibility of avoiding FOIA obligations by, say, the stamping draft on the top, that we go with the more kind of multi-factor fact-specific test, you know, maybe to see, was the agency holding this out as a final opinion?
1: Uh, yes, Your Honor. Yes. I, I think that that captures the, the, the way that we think the case ought to be resolved. Um the, the deliberative process privilege here uh, ought to extend to all of the deliberations that precede the issuance of the actual final biological opinion.
0: Thank you. Mr. Garnier. do you want to take a minute to wrap up?
1: Uh, thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. I, I, I would just emphasize again, as I've tried to uh, several times this morning, that, that there can be no real dispute on the facts of this case, but the decision-makers at the services Did not make a final decision in December 2013. The the record is clear that they did not make a final decision in the ongoing consultation until May of 2014, and when they made that final decision, they they released an 85-page joint opinion with with several hundred pages of appendices explaining to the public uh, the reasoning uh, that led them to issue a No Jeopardy opinion in this particular consultation. Until that point in time, the agency decision makers uh, were free to change their minds, and the deliberative process uh, within the agency had not yet
0: come to an end. Thank you. Thank you, Counsel. Mr. Nalreyan. Thank you, Mr. Chief
9: Justice, and may it please the Court. I'd like to begin with a standard that follows from SEARS and which should resolve this case. If a document explains a decision made by the agency with appreciable legal consequences. Exemption 5 does not apply. The opinions here explain a decision made by the services that EPA's proposed regulation jeopardized protected species. The Senate holds that jeopardy decision has legal consequences. Because the services' conclusions invariably get deference, the services' jeopardy determination made it very likely that EPA's regulation would be overturned unless EPA adopted additional protections. None of that turns on whether the services label their opinions, draft or final. Indeed, as the amicus briefs explain, the services almost never exercise their Jeopardy authority through final Jeopardy opinions. The Jeopardy decision reached earlier in the process achieved the same legal consequence. It forecloses the agency's proposed action and requires adoption of a more protective alternative. Petitioners have expressed concern as to the workability of the standard, insofar as it allows courts to look past labels like draft or non-binding, but the lower courts have been doing just that for 40 years with no unusual difficulty. Those cases like this one follow the standard FOIA practice that result on summary judgment based on the governing statutes and regulations together with the agency's record and declarations and, if necessary, examination of the documents themselves. The Endangered Species Act may call the services review a consultation, but in reality, the statute gives the services decisive gatekeeping authority over other agencies' actions. The state here is whether the public has access to the reasons underlying the services exercise of that statutory authority.
0: Counsel, uh, government decision-making often involves uh, several different layers. You know, the issues addressed by the uh, section and then it's turned to, over to the Bureau, then it goes to the division, and eventually say to the final decision maker. What what if that decision maker looking at all this says, you know, I think I think the Bureau got it right. Uh uh I don't think the division did much at all. I liked what they did. Uh uh does that mean in other words, and that's why I'm making the decision I am, because I think the Bureau analysis was right. Uh does that mean that the uh Bureau analysis is disclosable because it is the one that had operative effect?
9: Uh, if a decision maker on behalf of the agency adopts that Bureau's view as a basis of the agency's decision, then yes, yeah, I think that is the basis of a decision that is actually adopted.
0: Well, but that's, that's certainly pre-decisional. I mean, it goes up to the division and then only then to the the uh, uh, agency director. I mean, the the agency did not adopt the final recommendation from the division, uh, uh, but rather something that certainly was predecisional.
9: So we're talking about the decision that the director chooses as the basis of the agency's
0: decision. Yeah, and it's and in this chain of dis- of responsibility that leads up to him. He picks one in the middle. He says that's what uh, is going to affect. That's that's what I'm going with. Uh, is that uh, even though it's predecisional in the sense that there were several other layers before it got to him?
9: I think it is under Sears because you know, Sears says that if an agency chooses to adopt a document that was pre- predecisional but makes it the basis of its actual decision, then you know that doesn't raise concern for two reasons. One is that that's the decision of the agency, any criticism is going to go to the agency. It's decision. And the second is that, in general, again, this is is Sears, not me, but when that happens, the lower decision-maker is not embarrassed. They they generally tend to like the fact that the agency has taken their decision and the decision-maker has chosen it as his or her own decision.
0: Counsel, um, the operative effects test seems sort of tailor-made for the facts here, but it doesn't seem to be very uh, helpful uh, in most cases, in most cases, you can't pick a particular item in the decisional process and say, this is the one that drove the decision. So how would your effect uh, your test work in the typical case?
9: Uh, if, if there is no statement of basis that's there at all, FOIA doesn't require an agency to write one up. So, you know, one feature here is that the regulations do require... The services to have a statement of basis, that is their opinion, their Jeopardy opinion, available at the action agency asks for it. Thank you,
2: Thank you counsel. Uh, Justice Thomas? Uh, yes, I'd like to pick up a bit on what, the ch- uh, on the chief's line of questioning. Um, how far back would you go in the, uh, process? We asked the, uh, government how close to the line of actually sending, uh, the, uh, uh proposal out. Or the rule out, would it, would he, can he come to before it ceases being a draft? I'd like to ask you, how far back in the process can we go, uh, uh, before it is not discoverable? Uh, and it's a part of the deliberative process as opposed to something that is subject to FOIA. Well, I mean,
9: in this case, I think the important thing is that by all indications, the record, this analysis, that is this Jeopardy opinion, was complete and reached a conclusion. I don't think it goes much further past that. Uh, that is, if the analysis is not complete and they haven't, and they're still working on it, then that is legitimately deliberative and predecisional and is not disclosed.
2: So how do you determine that? I think the government says as long as they still, they have not said it's final, it's still a part of the deliberative process. Why don't we take them at their word?
9: Uh, Well, I mean, I think the reason not to take them at their word is that that then hands control of disclosure to the government based on how they choose to characterize documents. In this case, I really do think it is the record as a whole, and there are... Four elements, in particular, that I think deserve attention, keeping in mind that the burden is on the services here. I mean, the first is that we know the services had a decision to make, and the EPA gave them their regulation so they could decide that it passed cluster under, under the Endangered Species Act. And the second is that when the time came to make that decision, uh, under the schedule that the agencies agreed to with Joint Appendix 91, the services conveyed the conclusion that the regulation caused jeopardy and that the next steps were uh, reasonable and prudent alternatives. And we know that there were no further deliberations, either contemplated or that occurred, as to the viability of the proposed regulations. And in EPA's final rule, it said these changes were the result of the services consultation in order to avoid jeopardy. I mean, all of that lends no support to the services claim that their analysis was somehow not yet done or incomplete or or inconclusive.
2: So what's at stake here? Uh, uh, EPA's first rule—it doesn't—it's uh, uh, gone now. Uh, they've got a different rule. So, what's at stake? Why do you need uh, 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 what information are you trying to get about a rule that's no longer in place?
9: Well, in this rule, what they've said is that they are going to make permit by permit determinations as to what is required to avoid jeopardy and protect species, and what. The hierarch interested is in is, is knowing that those future decisions are consistent with the basis by which they have made these changes. So that if, for example, it's turtles at a certain kind of plant, that future permits protect turtle, turtles turtles at, at those plants. And industry has a different set of concerns, which is simply knowing that when the agencies exercise this authority, they're doing it on sound grounds. Thank you,
3: Assistant Breyer. Well, uh, this is complicated uh, because I think there's several documents here. So I'm going to ask you just to check me, and don't say I'm right if I'm not right, okay? Uh, okay. Okay. First, uh, we are talking about the the, animal, uh, the, the fish and wildlife uh, department and the marine fisheries, okay? What they're supposed to do is they write a document called a uh, biological opinion. Is that right? Yes. Okay. In the history of this act, that document, once they publish it, will force EPA to change, basically. And that document has been actually issued never. I mean, let me not exaggerate. In 7,000 cases in seven years, they issued one exactly twice. Now, the reason is, there is a different document called a draft biological opinion. And what happens when they write that draft is they send it to EPA and they negotiate. And EPA eventually ends up probably doing what they finally agree to do. So we're talking about that draft biological opinion. And it has two things about it. One, we're going to negotiate this with EPA. And two, private people who are nothing to do with the EPA can get a hold under FOIA of that document. Is that right?
9: Uh, yes, except I think that what is being negotiated is not the Jeopardy conclusion, but what happens next, that is.
3: Yeah, all right, what happens next, but there is a document called draft biological thing, and things happen as a result of that, and it's pretty clear that private people can get a hold of it. Indeed, there's a reg to that effect. Is that right? Uh,
9: that's right, if there's an applicant involved with the process. An applicant can get a
3: hold of it. So I thought that that was... Once you write that draft biological opinion, you've got something that's final enough that somebody can get it under FOIA. Now the question here is, well, what about the draft leading up to that draft? And that's what we're trying to get or not get. Is that right?
9: No, Your Honor. I, I, think, I think our position is that this document is that draft. I mean, EPA didn't ask Yeah, 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 yeah it. but it doesn't say it. And
3: so the government says, well, this is just a draft of the draft. Or maybe the government means, no, you can't get a hold of the draft, in which case you can never get a hold of anything, because they never use anything beyond the draft. Uh, is that right?
9: That's how I understand the government's position. But to be clear, you know, all they've said is that EPA didn't ask for it, so it was never formally transmitted. They did uh, send over portions, and this does appear to be The statement of basis for the Jeopardy conclusion. So your
3: view is I look through the nine or the, the documents that are supposed to be turned over or not. I read this record and I ask myself, is this in effect the draft biological opinion or is this a document that is part of the debate within the agency that will lead up to the draft biological opinion that will serve as a basis for discussion with EPA? Have I got that right?
9: Uh, yes, along with the rest of the record.
3: Okay. Okay. Now I know what to do. That's extremely helpful. Thank you. Justice Alito. Uh,
4: well, I really don't know what to do. Uh, we face a conundrum. One possibility is for us to say that if it's a draft, uh, it's it's privileged. Uh, the other is to try to draw a distinction between different kinds of drafts. So let me ask you this. Suppose that the services went through a three-step process in issuing a biological opinion and the draft produced at step one turns out to be what the service will ultimately issue 90% of the time. What emerges from step two is what it will issue 97% of the time. And uh what emerges from step three is the final product. Now, at what point do you think uh, a document would become non-privileged?
9: So, yeah, I think the answer is going to depend on the particular process, decision-making process, that actually occurs, because you know, there aren't, they've given themselves a lot of flexibility. So, in a case like this one where there was no further deliberation that seemed to have been contemplated or that occurred, then, you know, it is the the 90% draft because, you know, the 10% simply doesn't seem to be an issue in this case. EPA chose not to interrogate their, their determination here as agencies normally do.
4: Well, you know, with respect to counsel, I don't know how satisfactory that answer is because if a service is determined not to have this, released under FOIA. All they need to do, at every step, is simply to say, this is what we think up to this point, but of course, uh, this isn't our final word. We're open to hearing other uh, information about this, so that it's made explicitly non-final, subject to further internal deliberations until it's finally issued.
9: Well, no, I mean, the fact that they could change their mind in their own discretion is clearly not enough. I mean, Sears says that in footnote 25. Roman does not stand for that proposition. So you know, if all they say is, well, in our discretion, we have some room to move, I mean, that's even true of a final biological opinion. I think, you know, what, what I'm saying is that if you have a situation in which, you know, they have a, a process set up where they say, well, we're giving you a draft and we want your opinion and we intend to respond to it, If a real deliberative process is set up within the rulemaking, then that's a different kind of draft. Well, to help me,
4: could you just say as succinctly and precisely as possible what you think the test is we should apply in distinguishing among opinions that are labeled drafts?
9: If the draft opinion reflects a decision made by the agency with appreciable legal consequences, then it needs to be released. Well,
4: I mean, if it was, if step one was followed 50% of the time, that would have appreciable legal consequences, wouldn't it?
9: I think it would. I just want to be clear that, you know, 50%, I mean, if it is a a discretionary reconsideration process and, you know, the services have all the power to control what happens in that other 50%, then yes. thank
0: you. Justice Sotomayor?
4: Council,
6: uh, I guess I'm getting bogged down in the details, but I do want to a little bit. In this case, what is clear is that all we know is that portions of the draft Jeopardy opinion went to the EPA. And I know that, um, or at least my law clerk has looked through the record and not been able to find an answer as to what portions. But how can we say... That there was a final draft jeopardy opinion that was signed off. If the EPA never saw it, and if they never saw it, and were working in a collaborative process thereafter to change their rule, how could, um, how can it help you to look at that draft when the EPA? in following whatever it's doing now was never informed by the draft? Uh,
9: So in answer to, I think, the first part of your question, if you look at 402.14 G5, what it says is that when the services reach this stage of the process, when they make a jeopardy conclusion as to the regulation they've been given, they need to have essentially a statement of basis available to the action agency if the action agency wants to submit comments. Uh and here EPA again chose not to submit comments. It didn't want to interrogate the service's opinion apparently. But you know that is still a statement of basis that provided that explains the service's decision and that EPA didn't ask for the thing to be formally transmitted, I think doesn't really affect really that that document's purpose or the operative effect of the decision itself. As to why we want to see it, even if EPA hasn't, I mean, the problem is that these jeopardy decisions don't just affect the action agency. You know, ultimately, uh, they affect the public and regulated communi- uh, the regulated community and everybody else. So for our purposes, you know, that the services going down the line and they exercise their supervisory, supervisory authority behave in a way that is consistent with the conclusions they reached here remains important.
6: All right, could you articulate for me your rule again? We know there has to be some collaborative process. There has to be some collaborative process within the services and one and then with the EPA. At what point is the draft biological opinion? Articulate the rule that you want us to write. Final in your
9: judgment or subject to disclosure. I mean, when the draft opinion provides the basis for a decision made by the services, that is the agency as a whole, uh, that has appreciable legal consequences, then that opinion needs to be disclosed. Thank you, counsel.
0: Justice Kagan.
7: Uh, Mr. Narian, assume I still may agree with you for the moment that what we might call a final draft opinion is foiable. Um, you know, the one that triggers the back and forth between the service and the agency. But the government here says, well, this was not such a final draft opinion. It, you know, it characterizes it as a draft of a draft. And it points to the various decision makers' declarations. So um, what evidence do you have that the government is wrong to say that?
9: Uh, Well, I think the measure of those sorts of conclusory statements, right? Like, this was deliberative. Uh, is the fact that the government has offered to support their conclusion.
7: Well, it's not just conclusory statements. I mean, you have the service head uh, saying, uh, I I, I, I thought that more work needed to be done on it. I was not ready to sign off on this.
9: Uh, That's correct, but the only work that they've described is coming up with an alternative that they would approve. right? So, So yes, more work needs to be done, but then in this particular process, there appears to have been no work either contemplated or that occurred as to the permissibility of the proposed regulation. And the only reason they give for changing their jeopardy conclusion is that EPA agreed to add these additional measures, which again, EPA itself ascribed to the services jeopardy determination through the consultation. So again, I think it's fair to say that more work needs to be done, but if the only work that needs to be done is to essentially... Follow through on the consequences of the jeopardy determination, then I think that's not enough.
7: Well, suppose that suppose the the, the the service head got a memo from a staffer saying um, this is this is a bad idea. There's going to be all kinds of jeopardy, and the service head uh, really had not did not look at it very closely. Um, you know, hadn't decided whether he was ready to sign off on it but he did realize that there were some issues here and he calls up the EPA and he says, look,
10: I I haven't gotten
7: all the way through this. I haven't made a final decision yet, but I I think that there might be a problem here and I want to get you to talk to my guys and to try to work this out informally. Would you say that there's a FOIAble document there?
9: Uh, No, I wouldn't. I mean, our point here is just that the services haven't made that showing in this record. And the other point is that they are required to have a statement of basis available under 40214 G5 when they reach this stage. That is when they make a jeopardy conclusion. So,
7: well, I guess why isn't my hypothetical essentially this case? Uh, if we if we treat declarations as as serious and as worthy of you know uh, being you know we should respect them unless we see something to the contrary. But basically the head of the service looked at this and said. I don't know if I'm ready to sign off on this. I think maybe more work would need to be done to put this on final form. I think that there's probably a, 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 an issue here. I want to get everybody to start talking about it.
9: I, mean, I think the, the reason the lower court didn't reach that factual conclusion is that, by all indications, this document was ready to go to EPA if EPA asked for it. All that happened is that EPA didn't ask for it. Thank you. Justice Gorsuch?
0: Justice Gorsuch?
8: Good morning, Council. Um, I, I think we all understand the problem uh, of the government effectively stamping everything draft and, and and the concerns that attach to that. But I just wanted to explore the concerns on the other side of the coin too, and that is, uh, you know, without adequate room to kind of back down privately, the government sometimes winds up uh, making worse decisions rather than better ones. And here it does seem like that because of the back and forth privately, thanks to the services intervention, EPA came up with a, a rule that might be better from your perspective. Uh, to what, what, how do we balance that concern and allow agencies sufficient room to maneuver privately to avoid uh, having, you know, the, the, to embarrass themselves later um, and allow them to save face to get to better policy results?
9: You know, if an agency puts those facts into the record, then I think fair enough. But the key point is that if the agency is going to back down, you have to back down from its decision, right? You can't make the decision and then say, well, Well, we're not going to work. You
8: abstract up a level with me, counsel, and say, you know, I think you'd agree here that EPA got to a better result thanks to the services informal interventions, right? Uh, Yes, we'd agree. Okay, and 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 so, so there's got to be some room for that kind of uh, uh, private negotiation, don't you think?
9: Yes. To be clear, we're not complaining about the services making EPA make its regulation more protective. An important fact here is that the services really do have the authority.
8: Well, I guess I'm more, I'm asking, don't do you are you at all concerned that uh, a more invasive rule might deter this kind of productive uh, back and forth discussion? And how do we, how do we balance that concern? Uh,
9: no, Your Honor. I mean, we're not concerned. I think for a couple reasons. One is that. The biological opinion really is a mostly science, scientific studies and facts. You know, so uh, it's not the sort of thing that lends itself to the sorts of embarrassment. I mean, those things are normally subject to peer review, right? So, uh, and then you know, in this sort of back and forth, I mean, what's important is that you have a position. We have one party who has authority, effective authority, and one who is acting like a subordinate. Um, and that's the action agency. And in that circumstance, I think, you know, yes, there is some balancing, but it's really important to know why the services are saying what they're saying, at least when they effectively foreclose a, a proposed regulation that, from EPA's purposes, they have said, we've, we've reached the end of the line
5: for our, the Endangered uh, Species Act for us. What we you need counsel. to know from you is probably you know, good. Justice Kavanaugh? Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and uh, good morning, Mr. Narayan. I wanted to pick up first on, uh, Justice Thomas and Breyer and Alito and and others have talked about, uh, what is the agency decision? I would, I would have thought the way to do this is to start by figuring out what is the decision, capital D decision, and then everything that led up to that decision is, is pre-decisional. And that would be a pretty simple formula. And obviously, there would be questions in some cases about what the decision is. Here, theoretically, you could argue EPA's decision, but the government acknowledges that the service's opinions are the decision. What's wrong with that framework? Uh,
9: I don't think anything's wrong with it, so long as we recognize that when EPA gives a proposed regulation, the services and ask, does this pass muster under the Endangered Species Act, that is a capital D decision.
5: And the second question I wanted to ask is the need for clear rules in the FOIA context. So the the need for that, I think, is uh, multi-pronged. First, the agency officials who are engaged in deliberations need to be able to speak with candor, as Justice Gorsuch was just saying. Second, FOIA officers who are rampant throughout the executive branch, spend an enormous amount of time and resources on FOIA, could use clarity. And then district court judges uh, in the District of Columbia and elsewhere, if you talk to, would lament the lack of clarity and clear rules in in FOIA cases. Uh, So that raises the concern that the effects-based test or looking at the effects of uh, the memo could become so fact intensive uh, and could really blur the long standing predecisional principle of the deliberative process privilege because lots of drafts have, have real effects within the executive branch. Can you respond to all of that?
9: Uh, yes. I mean, so I'll start with the agencies because it, I think it is important here that the services have themselves developed workable standards these are the memos we cited at page 55 of our draft, by which they do distinguish between uh, drafts that have decisional weight and those drafts that really are deliberative. Uh, So there's no suggestion, or at least there's no evidence, that there's any lack of clarity that is is impeding their activities in this context. As to the district courts, the district courts have not, I mean, yes, they are perhaps fact intensive judgments, but really no more so than those required under other elements of the APA. And you know, it is always possible for an agency to submit declarations that don't speak to the standards and then say, well, these standards are unworkable. For an agency to put in facts like, you know, in fact, there are elements of the biological analysis that we, with which we did not agree, or um, you know, for all of those things are, are in their possession, and the reason FOIA places the burden on the agencies is because they're the only ones that have it, right? So, again, in general, these cases have been resolved in really typical FOIA fashion. I mean, it's, you look at the regulations and the statutes, you look at their declarations and the record, and if all of that isn't clear, then there's the option of in camera review.
5: Okay, thank you. That's helpful. Justice Barrett?
10: Council, I have a question following up on Justice Breyer. When he gave you the hierarchy of documents that might be at stake here, I want to be sure that I understand the consequences that flow from each. So, you know, in your conversation with Justice Breyer, you identified the biological opinion, which is almost never issued, the draft biological opinion, which is available by regulation, and then the draft of the draft, which the government says this was. Is it... True that the draft biological opinion, that second one in the hierarchy, is always foiable and that there's no controversy about that. Well,
9: no, no, there there is controversy about that. Okay. I mean, it is it is available if there's an applicant involved, uh, because in that case, it, it's not a purely interagency document, and so under climate, those are are produced. Okay. Um, I mean, one of the controversies here is yeah, is that kind of draft document available or not.
10: Okay, thank you. I wanted to clarify that. My next question has to do with the what you characterized as the legal effect of this document. Why was it a legal effect as opposed to simply a practical effect? When having this document caused the EPA to abandon the 2013 regulation and then move on to the 2014 regulation?
9: Well, I I think Bennett really suggests uh, three reasons why, under the Endangered Species Act, there are legal consequences and not just practical influence. I mean, the first is that there's a statutory prohibition in Section 7, right? No actions are allowed that create jeopardy. Uh, the second is that the, the services have a mandatory statutory role in, in enforcing that prohibition. Uh, so it's not a matter of, of just asking for advice from somebody
10: they have to be but I'm sorry, Counsel, let me just interrupt for one second. I think that's true if you have a final biological opinion, but in this case, would you say that if EPA simply got, I'm sorry, if EPA simply got wind of what the services were thinking and said, oh, well, it doesn't look like this is going to be on a, a good track for us with respect to Jeopardy and so abandoned it, that seems to be a practical consequence. And that might be the same kind of consequence that flows from a draft opinion as opposed to a biological opinion, which does have force in the scheme. Uh,
9: No, I I agree with you that in that scenario, it would be privileged. I think the point here is that the services reached a conclusion, conveyed the conclusion to EPA, and EPA responded exactly as the services expect them to respond. When they say jeopardy, EPA then moves to change its regulation.
10: How can a draft opinion give rise to that legal consequence?
9: What Bennett says is that what's important is that when the services reach a conclusion, the action agency knows that that conclusion is based on an administrative record that is going to get deferred. So, So long as EPA knows the services have reached this conclusion, none of what Bennett describes really depends upon whether the The analysis in the record is is currently labeled draft or final. What they need to know is the analysis is there, and they really are going to have no chance
0: of contesting it in court.
10: Thank you, counsel.
0: A minute to wrap up, counsel. The
9: problem with a services standard is that it boils down to it's privileged if we say it's privileged. And the upshot here would be to deprive the public of access to the reasons underlying the services jeopardy which, again, virtually never appear in final opinion. Those decisions are enormously consequential, not just to the action agency or to the Sierra Club, but to the regulated parties who ultimately have to comply with the measures the services demand. The importance of looking to those legal consequences rather than just labels is that it tracks FOIA's core concern, making sure the public knows how agencies are actually using
0: the authority Congress gave them. Thank you very much. Thank you, counsel. Uh, Mr. Garnieri, uh, three minutes for rebuttal.
1: Uh, Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. Uh, In our view, the general rule here uh, should be a clear, bright-line test that until a biological opinion is signed and formally issued, there is no final decision in an interagency consultation. The deliberative process privilege really uh, requires that degree of certainty. Any exception should should be rare. In in that respect, it's it's really no different—the biological opinion here is really no different than a a judge's or a court's opinion, which is not actually final until it's adopted by the judge and and issued as an official opinion. Um, Now, uh, turning to respondent's alternatives, uh, first, respondent really, uh, this morning, has made no effort to defend the actual reasoning of the Court of Appeals. Respondent does not defend the kind of last version rationale that the Court of Appeals employed. Conclude that the December 2013 draft biological opinions were, were not predecisional and deliberative. Respondents' alternative instead is this appreciable legal consequences test, which I don't think works for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, as uh, Justice Barrett's questioning illustrated, uh, there, there is no appreciable legal consequence to a draft biological opinion. Legal consequences attach only to the final biological opinion. Second, uh, as Justice Kagan's hypothetical illustrated, the appreciable legal consequences test that respondent has proposed here really proves too much because the same, the same consequences that respondent is relying on here could have flowed from, for example, uh, an informal recommendation made by a subordinate staff member at one of the services. You know, we, we use this example in our reply brief. If a junior staffer at one of the services had sent an email to the EPA at the very outset of the consultation saying, well, in my view, my supervisors might make a jeopardy determination here unless you change the following things about your proposed rule. No one would confuse that with a final decision. Respondents' respondents only real answer to those problems is to insist that uh, in this particular consultation, the services, in fact, made a decision in December 2013. And that contention is just at odds with the record of the proceedings here. It's clear that the agency decision makers at the service never adopted the December 2013 draft as an official agency position. Uh, They never signed them. They never publicly issued those documents, and they never even transmitted them in full to the EPA. What respondent is seeking to obtain here is not an explanation of the decision the agencies actually made. As respondent confirmed, respondent would like these drafts in order to impeach the decision that the agencies made in future challenges to uh, the application of the EPA's rule to particular permits. So, a respondent is seeking to mount a sort of collateral attack against the agency's decision, not to understand the
6: basis for that decision. The court should reject that effort. Thank you.
0: Thank you, counsel. The case is
6: submitted.